So uh, Kara and I uh, and uh, Eric and Michelle, we had, we had lunch the other day. And Kara brought up um, just a, a wonderful teaching by Christian good guy Graham Cook. Um, uh, he was talking about the green light. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I'm like, oh, babe, thanks for pointing that out. And, and here's what Graham teaches on the green light. He said, as children of God, we live with the green light. We live in freedom. We get to live with joy and freedom, and we are guided by the Lord. And he impacts that further. He says, every time you get to an intersection, you don't need to ask the Lord, Lord, do I go left? Do I go right? Lord, do I stop? Do I need to hang a Yui? Lord, what do I need to do? He says, live your life with joy and trust that the Lord will direct you, and that he'll speak when he wants you to turn. He'll speak when he wants you to stop. But we're not to live our lives where that at every intersection we're asking the Lord, Lord, when, when can I go? Can I go now? When should I turn left? He said we live with that green light. We have God's DNA inside of us, or for the sake of, of this example, we have his GPS inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the promise was made that he'll never leave us. He'll never bail on us. He'll never forsake us. So as we drive, as we go through life, we do so with an open heart. We do so with a teachable heart. And when God gives us direction, we follow. And it's as simple as that. It's for freedom that we have been set free. God wants us to operate in freedom. And when he speaks, he wants us to obey. He wants us to trust regardless. Sticking with the driving metaphor if God says, I want you to turn right onto that dirt road, and you're like, Lord, but I just washed the car. That's not the response he's looking for. He's looking for, okay, Lord, because that's me. Like, if it starts to rain and I just wash the car, I'll stay in the bay, like the drying bay. I'll stay until, you know, until it stops raining. I'm turning on a YouTube video, and I just washed it. I don't want to get a drop on it. Sometimes we live our lives with the same bit of restriction to the Lord, where we're like, Lord, I... I just did this. Lord, I just did that. Lord, I have, this is my plan. Lord, this is where I'm going. And, and that's not what the Lord wants. That's not key. What's key is that we follow when he's speaking. The rubber meets the road. When God tells us to take a different route than we want to. The rubber meets the road when God tells us to take a longer Route when we're exhausted, when we just want to stay put. The rubber meets the road when, when God says stay. And we're dying to just put on the gas and go. It's interesting, this week, this is the second time in my life that a kid's jumped out in front of a car. And praise God, this is the second time in my life when I haven't hit a kid. This week, I'm driving. I'm heading west on, on Erie Parkway, and I get to the intersection of County Road 5, where the high school is, where all that traffic is. And I'm at the, the first car uh, at the red light, heading west. And I see that there's, there's a guy that's heading east, and he lets his, like, she looks to be maybe like 6th, 7th grade, lets his daughter out of the car at the red light, because there's really nowhere to turn 
to turn north because there there's all that construction. They're redoing the road in front of the high school. And so I, I, I look and I see her, and she's out the road. The light turns green. I look. She's standing there. So I slowly start to move forward, and she then starts running across the street, running north. And so luckily I, I slam on the brakes. I probably didn't have to because I was barely moving. And she, she never sees. She just keeps on running, makes it across. I look over at the dad. The dad's like, you know, like doing the I'm sorry kind of thing. And th that's actually the second time that that's happened to me. Are we responsive when we have to slam on the brakes? And I'm not talking about the driving sense anymore. I'm talking about the following the Holy Spirit. Are we responsive when he gives this prompt instruction to stop? Are we responsive when we don't think we've got enough gas to go a single mile and he says go further? Are you a good follower? When Jesus doesn't make sense to you. Are you a good follower when you've just had the most amazing catch of your life? And Jesus says, leave it behind and follow me. Because I want to make you a fisher of men. Like Jesus, that ain't, that's not even a thing. I'm a fisherman. My dad was a fisherman. That's not even a thing. Fisher of men. We're a fisher of fish. Maybe a fisher of shrimp, other crustaceans. I don't know. But being a fisherman is not a thing, Lord. But the Lord's now saying it is. Are we a good follower when he speaks things that we have no point of reference to and that we don't know about whatsoever? How about this? Are you a good follower when Jesus says, that if you want to follow him, you must hate your mother and your father. Hate your wife and your child. Hate your brothers and sisters. And yes, even hate your own life. Jesus never said that. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read together. Let's just see what, what Jesus really said. I'll give you a second, Luke 14 in your Bibles or your Bible apps, and we'll also have the scripture behind us. Verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, if he comes to me and does not hate those like that, he cannot be my disciple. Hey, he said it. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. All right, I guess Jesus really said it. It's there, right? It, it, I assume it, it popped up behind me. It's there. Seems out of place. Seems out of place. Seems uncharacteristic of Jesus a little bit, right? Not a little bit, a whole lot. Hate. Jesus talking about hate. We know that Jesus gave two great, the greatest commandments in his words were, were to love God with everything within you 
and to then love others as you love yourself. Two greatest commandments. And now he's talking about hate. So friends, at this point, I just want to encourage you. There are such treasures to be found in Scripture if we will dig, if we will look, if we will seek God, if we will dialogue with the Holy Spirit. There is such rich treasures if we won't be lazy, if we won't just take at face, face value what someone else says. I don't even care if that someone else is me. What if I ended my message right now? What a confusing mess that would be. I'm not going to end the message now. I've got an hour left. Not an hour left. You know why? Because like everyone preached a message today to the kids. I've got like 10 minutes left. Man. That word hate. That word hate that Jesus uses is the word meseo. And the primary definition is to hate or detest. It's used 41 times in the New Testament. And that definition for the large majority of those words, is to hate. To hate sin. Okay, that's a great example. It means to hate sin. But there are five uses of this word where it is relative to the subject, and it doesn't mean to hate. It means this. To love less. And that's the title of my message today. To love less. And let me just make this abundantly clear, and then I'll unpack this. Jesus is asking us to love our mothers and fathers less than him. Our wives and our children less than him. Our brothers and our sisters less than him, and even to love ourselves less than him. That's what he's saying in that passage. To love less. Here's the way, the, the way it's unpacked in one of the commentaries I read. To arrange for love and respect to take place at another time. So it's to, post, it's to postpone love. To postpone respect. Why? So that in that moment we can love him more. To love less. To love less than what? To love less than what? Everything. To, to love less than who? Everyone. To love him more. Little public service announcement. Parents, you do, your, you do a massive disservice to your children if, if you raise them to believe that the world revolves around them. You do. It doesn't. The world does not revolve around them. All of my kids, all three of my kids, without fail, by the way, if you, I, I wish there was a mirror so you could see your faces right now, parents. I wish you could see your faces. I'm getting some, some smarmy looks from some of y'all. Hold on, where's my camera? All three of our kids, without fail, without fail, when they were younger, they asked me, without fail, Daddy, do you love me as much as you love mommy? And without fail, my answer was the same. Sweetie, I love you so much. But no, I love mommy more. I love mommy the most. But after mommy, 
there's not a single person in this world I love more than you. But I love mommy more. She's my life. And then I, I answered because I said, but as much as I love mommy, there's, there's someone I love more. And without fail, the kids answered correctly. What did they answer? What did they answer? Jesus. Jesus. I said, that's right, baby. That's right, buddy. Jesus. And then I reaffirmed them. I love Jesus the most. I love Jesus the most. And you know what? Mommy loves Jesus the most. She loves Jesus more than me, and I love Jesus more than her. And I love mommy more than any person on this earth. And then after mommy, there's no one that's even close. I love you the most. And all of them were like, okay. <laughs> they were at peace. They ran off. They played. Dad, you want to play? We do our kids a disservice if you worship your children and you, think, and you tell them that they're the center of the universe. They are not. We've got to love Jesus more. I mentioned that there were five New Testament scriptures that used that translation of meseo, to love less. Let's look at another one of those. In Romans chapter 9, Paul uses this word. And once again, man, he just jacks with us sometimes. So in Romans 9, Paul uses this word, meseo, love less. Romans 9, 11. Uh, this is talking about the fraternal, uh, non-identical twins, uh, Esau and Jacob. Though they were not yet born, and though they had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls their mother, Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. This, Paul's talking about the words of God. Paul's talking about the words that were spoken to Rebecca, the prophetic word before her, her twin sons were born, that the older will serve the younger. And it's supposed, in, in Hebrew tradition, it was supposed to be the other way around. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Same word. Jacob I loved, but Esau I loved less. Did God show less? If, if you're familiar, I, I can't get into the story of Jacob and Esau. I'll go ahead and give you a cheat sheet. The answer is yes. Did God love less and show less mercy to Esau than he did to Jacob. Yes. Yes. Why? He's God. He's God and I'm not. He's God and you're not. There's some things about God that I just, the honest truth is, we're not going to have the answer for. There's, there's things about God I just don't understand. And this is one of them. Let's look at the very next verse, verse 14. What shall we say then? This is Paul. He's like, okay, so what should we say? What are we talking about here? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He's like, heck no. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
Is this a hard truth? Yes. Is this a hard truth? Is this a little tough to swallow? A little? It's a hard truth. God will have mercy on who he has mercy. God will show compassion on who he will show compassion. If if God wants to show more love to one, more mercy, more provision, more whatever, he is God and he can do whatever he wants. It's a hard truth. But are you going to bail on Jesus because it's a hard truth? Are you done? Are you done because it's a hard truth? Are you done because it's offensive? Are you done because you didn't like what you heard? I'm, I'm being totally serious here. What do we do when we hear something from God that we didn't want to hear? What do we do when we hear something from God that we don't like? We must put following Jesus above everything. We must love Jesus more, and we must love less. Is this message coming together for you? Love less. Love everything else less. We must put following Jesus even above closeness to friends. We must put following Jesus even above closeness to to family. If people who are close to us get in the way of us following God and pursuing his call and purpose, then we must love those people less than we love God and his plan and his purpose. Is that a hard truth? Yes. Because we're all about love, 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 love. And I do, I love. And Jesus loves. Even in the hard truths, he is showing love. Man, I'm getting fired up. Hate in these two passages is a relative term that's in direct relation to the love of God or for our love for God. Man, how do we come to love God that much? How do we come to love God that much? That's a hard question. How how do we come to love God more than we love ourselves? Because I love me some me, and you love you some you. You do. You love your way. You love your traditions. You love your habits. You love your sins. I got a little Southern there. Did you hear that? A little Southern came out there. We do. We love us some us, and we want our way. So how do we get to the point where we love him more. If I can be even more blunt, if it's possible, if you can't follow Jesus in the little things, good luck with changing him in the hard things, following him in the hard things. I'll tell you this right now, loving him that much will not come from being here once a week. I love that you're here. I do, I love that you're here. I love our fellowship. Loving him that much will not come with showing up at church once a week will not come with just being with Jesus once a week. I'm not saying we got to be like at church every day. Don't, don't hear that. I'm saying we got to be with Jesus throughout the week. we got to spend time with him throughout the week. we got to talk to him. we got to listen to him. we got to respond to him. we got to walk in trust of him. Ready for more offensiveness and even a little grossness? 
John chapter 6. John 6, verses 51 through 61. Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he stops, right? So obviously, okay, we're like, okay, he's, I read that, and I'm like, okay, there's, there's metaphor, there's symbolism, I get it. Okay, and, and Jesus is also telling truth. Next verse, it says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So then Jesus said to them, and he kicks it up a notch. Okay, and if you even think that, that, that your version of Jesus, if you've got some skewed version of Jesus, if you think that Jesus is never intense, you're wrong. If you think he's never offensive, you're wrong. He kicks it up a notch, and he says this, truly, truly. Anytime says Jesus says, anything Jesus says is truth, right? So when he says truly, truly, he is making, he's about to make a point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus has kicked it up a notch. Whoever feeds on my flesh, and he stays with it. He's like, I've already offended you. I'm going to offend you constantly. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks, he just stays with it. This is awesome. Go, Jesus. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate. So he's, he's smashing their traditions. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue. This was in church as he taught at Capernaum. And many of his disciples heard it, and they said to each other, not to Jesus. They said, man, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? I love it. I love that Jesus called them out. And it was love. You might not like it. But it was love. Is this too hard for you? Is what he's asking. Does this offend you? That's what he's asking. Is this too gross for you? Is this too much for you? Does this make you uncomfortable? Next verse. After this. After Jesus called them out, many of his disciples, many of his disciples and followers did what? They turned back. They left and no longer followed him. So Jesus said to the 12, what did he say? You want to go too? You want to leave too? There's a door. 
Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus said it. I don't care what version you're reading. Jesus said it. Man. I, knock, knock. I don't have a joke. I just need to, man, your faces are like, I know this is a hard truth, but I'm not making up the words of Jesus. There's times Jesus was an intense dude. There's times Jesus was offensive. You want to leave too? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? Lord, where would we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Only you are truth. Friends, are you at the place in your faith that you are utterly, completely convinced that Jesus is the only one who has the words that provide life? He's the only one who has the words that provide truth. He's the only words, one who has the words that provide healing and strength and hope. That's what causes us to follow. Is that belief that his words are life and I can't generate life on my own. His words are healing and salvation and hope. And I can't generate salvation and healing and hope on myself. And I can't get it from my friend either. I can't get it from my besties. I can't get it from my buddies. I can't get it from anyone else but him. No matter how hard his ask. And no matter how much we don't understand do we know that he is truth and we are willing to follow him? Do we know that he is the way? He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. We follow. I want to share just a little bit of my story and I, I see that I don't have a ton of time left, so I'll go quick. I love football. I think it's the greatest entertainment ever made. I think it's the greatest sport ever made. It's the funnest thing to play. It's the funnest thing to watch. Yesterday, I was at a friend's birthday party. It was preseason football, but it was in the background. The sounds of football were fantastic. Didn't know any of those guys. They're not going to be on the team next week. No, they're going to be cut. But the sounds of football were on, and it was wonderful. And I loved playing it. And I played it in college. I played it for three years. I redshirted one year. I played two years. And after three years, I was, I was just getting good at it. I was finally starting to understand the speed of the game and the field. And I was just getting good. Had two more years to play. I was 21 years old. And this time, I knew that God was calling me to walk away, to follow him, and to transfer to a Christian college that did not have a football team basically to end my playing career, and so I followed. I didn't do it like overnight. I didn't do it because I'm this strong, resolute guy. I prayed about it. I wrestled. I argued with God. I sought confirmation. I'll tell you what I didn't do is I didn't make this decision on my own. That's what I didn't do because I didn't, I didn't really want to, not at first. But when I started talking to God and asking for confirmation and, and talking, the people that were counsel in my life, asking them, hey, this is what I'm thinking, and it's crazy. 
God just started working on my heart. And when I was 21 years old, I transferred to Oral Roberts University. I gave up football, and it was the hardest decision in my life. I loved football. But in this moment, I love football less. I love Jesus more. I loved myself less. I loved my childhood dream less. And I loved Jesus more. When I graduated from ORU, I stayed in Tulsa. Tulsa's a great town. Like, it, it just is. Tulsa's a great town. It's a, gr it's a great city, great arts, cost of living's great. Some of the cheapest gas in the nation. You could always get a good steak. I mean, Tulsa's good town. My closest friends from ORU, they stayed in town. We had this awesome community. We played sports together. We went to the movies together. We ate chicken wings together, and it was great. I had the tightest brotherhood that you could imagine. By the fall of 1996, I was 26, and I was working as youth pastor at the, the largest Episcopal church in, uh, in Oklahoma. I was working at uh, an elite prestigious prep school in Oklahoma. It was an Episcopal school, and, and uh, I was coaching football, and I was coaching girls basketball, and I loved it. Loved it. But I was wrestling with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, like, I'm, where's my wife? I want my wife, Lord. I, I, it's, it's, it's in my heart. Where's my wife? And he challenged me to grow up. And then I think there was a testing moment. He said, will you follow me? I get a phone call and I get a job offer to move to Denver, Colorado and take a job at a mega church doing graphic design. I'd never been to Denver. Probably a decent town. Had to be a decent town if Mork from Ork settled, you know, around there. Denver, good enough, but I just had no desire to go there. I, didn't, I knew one person in Denver. And yes, I know that Mork was in Boulder, okay? Let's not argue semantics. Come on, stay with me. Stay with me. And I said yes. And I moved across country because I knew the Lord was calling me. And it, and it, was, it was hard, but it wasn't as hard as, as giving up football. It, it was getting easier. Me saying yes to the Lord, me following the Lord was getting easier. I moved out here in September of 96. In early October of 96, I met a beautiful girl named Kara Johnston. She later became Kara Harper. I'm so glad I followed the Lord. But I'm not just so glad that I followed the Lord because of that incredible reward. I'm glad I followed the Lord because he spoke and I was 26, and I was dense, and I was stubborn, and I was prideful, and I was immature, and I was learning to die to self. And saying yes to the Lord is often about dying to self. It's about loving ourself less and loving him more and wanting him to have his way, being desperate that he has his way. I loved Tulsa less. I loved my brothers less. I loved my brotherhood less. I loved those stakes and low gas prices less. And I love Jesus more. In 2009, that was an interesting year. 2009, I, I started a business with three of my friends. 2009, we were also on the verge of planting Impact Rock Church. So we were in the last stages of preparation. Our church, Impact Rock, on Saturday, January 2nd of 2010, we had our first service in our living room. Me and Kara and the kids and my mom and like a few other people. 
And that was it. But we were obedient to the Lord. And then it started growing, and we outgrew the living room, and we knew we were called to Erie, so we moved to the Erie Rec Center, and then the Lord opened up a space with Pastor Matthew, who was here a few weeks ago, and moved into their space, and then the Lord opened up this, and we moved in here, and every time we just followed him. So our, our little church began to grow, and, and my, my business that we had started really started to grow. I had never made much money. I'd never made more than 50000 in a year, and, and that was the high point. I made it once. Everything else was like, Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? Like, it was rough. Then all of a sudden, in 2010, I made $85,000. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm rich. I'd never made anything like that before. And then the next couple of years, I, it more than doubled. I, I was making over 200000 a year. Our business was thriving. And, and at that point, I was convinced I was rich. I don't know what y'all think is rich, but I'm telling you right now, I'm like 200000 a year. I am rich. I paid off debt. We, uh, we had a, uh, a blue 2004 Ford Expedition. Paid that off. We still have the blue Ford Expedition. But paid that off. Paid off debt. Did different things. We gave extravagantly. We didn't just tithe. Like, I would constantly keep my checkbook in my pocket so that at moments notice I could write a check for $1,000. I'm like, babe, babe. And she's like, yeah, $1,000, boom. And we just gave extravagantly because we still lived on the same amount we had. We didn't change houses. We didn't buy new cars. And we would just give extravagantly, and it was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. That's no lie. I miss that the most. I, I miss just being able to just, boom. Loved it. And then the Lord reminded me, who, who's your source? Who's your provider? Is it, is it me or is it your job? It's you, Lord. It's you. It's you, Lord. You're my provider. You're my source. You're my security. You're my strength. He's like, okay. I'm asking you to walk away from business, and I'm asking you to do my work full time. I'm asking you to Walk away from that and, and take less than 25% of what you've been making. But I want you full-time doing my work. Karen and I prayed, we talked, and the answer was yes. I'm telling you guys, the more we, the more we say yes, the easier yes gets. Now, I, I'm not going to say that following Jesus like ever gets like super easy. It's, there's always challenge. There's always sacrifice. The Lord is always asking us to die to self, to love self less. But, I, but I'm telling you, it gets easier the more we say yes to the little things and then the bigger things and then the big things. I've only shared three big things with you. This is a part of my journey. I'm 52. I've gone back to when I was, I think, 21 when I started this story. I've just shared three really big things, but I'm letting you know constantly the Lord is asking, will you follow? Will you follow? I'm doing this. Will you follow? You're offended. Will you suck it up and will you follow? Your pride's in the way. Will you die to it and will you follow? You're operating in fear. Will you die to fear and will you follow? Will you love less? I love him more. I just, I, I love him more. My answer is yes. 
I know it's a tough ask. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. Following Jesus can be very hard. And if you've got friends, I mean, we, we prayed over our young people today. Young people, if you've got friends that are distracting you from Jesus, I'm just telling you, it's hard to love them less, but you've got to love them less. Uh, I will encourage you to do this. Speak up. Speak up. Hey, no, no, no. I ain't doing that. I follow Jesus, and I'm pretty certain he doesn't want this right now. No. Man, speak up. They mock you. Then you're mocked. Follow Jesus. Love him more. Your goals, your plans, your dreams, your childhood dreams, love Jesus more. Let me say this right now so that there's no little bit of like pity going on here. I don't miss a meal making significantly less. I don't miss a bill. There's times we're late. There's times we've got to make phone calls and say, hey, can you hold that? I'm going to be a little late on that. There's times we've got to move things around. I don't miss meals, clearly. I don't miss bills. We don't go without gas because God is my provider and he's always provided. I still do miss like writing crazy amounts of checks and just giving like a lot of money away. That, that was just so cool to me. I loved it. Love Jesus more. Love less. Love less. Am I making my point? Even though we have that green light, and I do, I live my life with that green light, man. Jesus, I'm flooring it. We're going for a ride today. If you want me to stop, you're going to have to be loud because the wind's in my hair. Wind's blowing through my beard. Windows are down. You're going to have to be loud. But let me know if you want me to stop. Let me know if you want to change direction. And I use that figuratively. Man, we live with that green light. But are we obedient to the Lord when he says, I know you want to gun it. I know, I know. And I see it. You're, I see it in your heart. You're a wild man, and I made you that way. I love you. Stay. Park. Park. Don't get out of the car. I'll tell you when to go. Just sit tight and trust me. I know you're a homebody. Mark, I know you're a homebody. But I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to move across country. Those, those are my examples. You know what your examples are because I guarantee the Lord is, he has his asks of you. He has his challenges of you. Will you love less the things of the world? Will you love him with all your heart, all your mind, your body, your soul, your strength? Will you love him with all your trust, all your hope, all your pride, all your offense, all your weakness? Will you love him with everything, not just the good? Maybe you don't know how to do this, and, and I'm glad you're here today. So now that God can challenge this in your life, and you can be listening. Or maybe you don't want to do it. Maybe God has already challenged you and already said, I've told you to go. I've told you to say yes. I've told you to say no. I've told you to stop. Maybe he's already given you some instruction, and you've said, not now, Lord. I'm not hearing it now, Lord. That's not what I want to do now, Lord. That doesn't line up with my five-year plan, Lord. Maybe that's why you're in this place also. The Lord's asking you to circle back. Because he's not going to give you a new instruction. 
until you say yes to that one. Do you want to go as well? Do you want to leave as well? That's what Jesus said. That's direct. Andy, I don't even know that I've ever been that direct. I've been direct. Maybe a close. Not that close. That's direct. Where else would we go? That's how they responded. That's how the disciples responded. Where else would we go? You're the only one that has truth. You're the only one that has life. That was their response. His disciples had already left their jobs. They'd already left the family business. They'd already left family. They were already following him, right? And now he has this hard ask. He says some difficult things they didn't understand. If I was there, I'd be like, that's gross, Lord. That's just gross. I, I think I'd draw the comparison you're making, but man, you're really driving that point home about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That's gross, Lord. I might have had a bad response. I don't know. But he's saying, will you follow me through the tough words? Will you follow me through the offensive times? Will you follow me even though others have left? Now, what we know now is that he was asking is, Will you follow me to the cross? Will you, will you follow me to the garden where I'm betrayed and arrested? Will you follow me to the outer courts where I'm brutally tortured? Will you follow me to the cross? Will you follow me to my death? Will you follow me to my burial in a borrowed tomb? I pray that our answer is now and will constantly be, Lord, to whom else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and I love you more. I want to abruptly put this car, the car of this message into park, turn off the ignition with this scripture. This is the last thing I want you to hear today. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. All of the accomplishments that I once took for credit, took credit for, I've now forsaken them. And I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting onto the garbage heap. It's all like a big pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness, my quote-unquote righteousness based on keeping the written law. My only quote-unquote righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I will continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, reconcile this to our hearts today. Lord, reconcile this to our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our will today. Help us to follow you fearlessly 
And if we're not at that place of following you fearlessly right now, then just help us to follow you obediently and with faith, even though we're scared to death. Lord, I ask you to help each person with their their challenge, Lord, the sacrifice, the the difficulty of, of, of following you, of loving you more, and of loving self less, loving everything less. In Jesus' name, amen.